oh, a dollar-based net revenue retention rate that high, this must be a consumption-based model. There is a consumption component to it, but the majority of this company's revenue is actually subscription-based. So that big of a dollar-based net revenue retention shows that more consume, more of uh, the bank employees are using it and they're using it um, more across the, the organization. Only about 12% of this company's total revenue was usage-based in both 2019 and 2020. It's possible that could grow over time and that can be a larger and larger lion's share of the business. Uh, but don't make the mistake. Don't, don't think like we did initially that this is a usage-based company. It's subscription mostly. That's a great point, Brian, because sometimes when you make those comparisons, one stock to the other to try to help explain something, uh, you, you can easily assume you know all of those business model elements carry over. One thing that I was uh, a little surprised with looking at the, the S1 here is um, customers weren't as concentrated as I thought they would be. Um, you know, we saw 18 customers generated more than 1 million in revenue. Uh, that was about 53% of revenue in 2020. But even the biggest customer for this company didn't make up as much of the pie as I thought they would. 13% of revenue was their number one customer uh, in 2020. I'm going to guess that that's Wells Fargo. That's probably correct, although it might not be. Uh, and if you look back uh, in 2019, they had two customers that were more than 10% of revenue. They have over 290 customers in total now, and it is good to see that kind of a diversification. So yes, like you, I was pleasantly surprised to see there is some revenue concentration risk, but it's not nearly as high as I was expecting it to be. Yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised just on the early pitch for this business if one customer was like 40% of revenue. Just, just with the big names that they work with, um, and how much loan volume they handle, you know. Um, so, so obviously that mitigates some of the risk that you'd expect with one of these businesses. Um, let's let's look specifically at the books now that we've gotten a good overview of the business, Brian. Um, a good time to come public for a company like this. We talked about how 2020 was a banner year, nearly triple digit year over year growth for this company. Not surprising in a low interest rate environment where there are a lot of refis and a lot of new mortgages being written. Last year, their total revenue grew uh, 98% to 96 million dollars. The next thing that I always look at is gross margin, and the gross margin here is good, not outstanding, given what we've seen by some other SaaS companies, uh, but good. It was 64% uh, blended, so that gave this company about 62 million dollars, roughly, in gross profit. Now, that's the top line, and that looks pretty good to see that kind of growth. However, this company is spending big right now to drive that growth. So research and development, uh, sales and marketing, and general administrative costs last year were $137 million. That was more than double the company's gross profit. As a result, we saw a net loss of $74 million. That's a sizable number when compared to the company's uh, top-line revenue of $96 million. So that is a downside to this company. It's relatively early in its commercialization, so the net losses are huge. One can hope that they'll follow time, fall over time, but make no mistake, this company is losing a lot of money and will do so for a while. Yeah, and, and that's just the phase they're in with, with the growth and adoption. I mean, if, if you are painting a picture of this business and this industry, it's basically there's Rocket Mortgage, there's everybody else. And if you can help everybody else match 